what some people might not realize is that we learn things too. We're teaching <laughs> Sometimes. you. But we're also teaching ourselves. Yeah. I You will discover in this episode there are things that I did not know. And maybe some people are going to make, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. And you, but right before we recorded, we were like, I didn't know that. Yeah. So. But we took a look in a book. Yes. We did. It's, it's Reading Rainbow. It's re- this is what Reading Rainbow is all about. <laughs> like, not only do we teach you, but we teach ourselves. Yeah. And that's really the greatest love of all. That's what Whitney Houston was talking about. It is. She was talking about LeVar Burton <laughs> and Reading Rainbow. <laughs> all right. Does that sound good? We're practicing our commencement speeches. When somebody inevitably asks us. That one talk. day that we'll finally be asked yeah. to do the commencement speech when, at a college. Or when my... Um, at Phoenix my, Online. My podunk little high school is like, hey, you have a podcast. <laughs> You're successful. <laughs> You're alumni. You work two jobs and do this podcast? Want to come talk? You'd be like, you know what? Honestly, I probably represent the most successful person coming out of here. Yeah. Aw, that's Uh, not true. I'm sure you have. Actually, that is completely not true because actually the person who was the guest speaker at my, my high school graduation was Michael Cole, announcer for the WWE. You know what? He's the most successful alumni story. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, Michael Cole didn't even go to our high school. He was just the brother of our secretary who worked in our high school. Well, shit. Yeah. And one of our Spanish teachers, her brother was in Monster Magnet. So, yay. <laughs> the the celebrity connections are never ending. Never ending at oh Weebatuck Central School. There you go. We didn't even have a football team, guys. <laughs> But you had Michael Cole speak. But we had Michael Cole to speak on the golden age of WWE. And honestly, better than football. Agreed. Welcome to Rock Candy, (laughs) your weekly podcast bringing us sweet treats and music. And uh, second week of disco, week Mm. number two. And always bringing it back around to WWE. Somehow, even though we haven't watched it in years. I know, but... That's okay. Like, I have honestly discovered that watching wrestling is another job. It is. There are so many things to watch. Keeping up with all the storylines. Well, like, AEW is, like, the one you should be watching, as far as I've been told. Yeah, and all the heel turns and all the... all the... I just... I can't. Like, I want to. I can't. But I can't. I don't have time. Yeah. My retirement plan is to watch <laughs> wrestling finally. That's going to be it. It's going to be a completely different era by then, though. Yeah. It's going to be like three eras over. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. <laughs> I don't uh, know. If all of them can look like Seth Rollins, I'm fine. All right. There she goes. What about Finn Balor? Oh, hell yes. Yes. Yep. Mm. Anyway, uh, we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And I swear we didn't just stop for a hot second to think about how attractive Finn Balor is. Is he still wrestling? I haven't heard shit about him. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to think about that. But, yes. And then periwinkle undies. Oh, God. Only he he could show up pull off periwinkle, though. (laughs) Oh, man. You'd fit right in on the dance floor. Yeah. See, we're just talking about nice, fun, happy, positive things. Because soon... Uh, you know, we're just going to talk about things that'll make you upset. And Ashley is wetty to be angry. I'm I'm so wetty to be angry. She is. I told her. I'm like, so wetty. I can't say my oz. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> Nobody can. Uh, yeah. I um, 
the notes for these were so hard honestly it was it was very difficult because really we could have quit rock candy started a new podcast (laughs) called disco candy (laughs) and only talked about disco yeah and it would be we would have another three or four years yeah there's so much and there's so many things I don't talk about that I'm like, I want to talk about this, but I don't know how I'm going to fit it in the narrative. Scripts are hard, guys. We can still talk about it. Fuck it. I don't care if this shit's disjointed. I'm ready. I'm ready to be angry. Oh, well, the stuff I'm talking about that I didn't put in wouldn't make you as angry, I, I think. Oh, well, I don't know. But I anyway. need some soothing shit in between. So whatever. I'll try. Okay. We'll try to sandwich it in. And also, we're sandwiching in some delicious beers. You're welcome. Oh my God, Ashley! I went. I, I went to Vermont this weekend, and, and if visited, you ask, you shall receive. Yeah, visited oh. one of our favorite buoys. Buoys. Speaking of not being able to say your R's, <laughs> yes, you went to Queen City Buoy, which is, gosh, if you Chef's are anywhere kiss. in Burlington, you need to visit this brewery. Yeah, it is the fucking best. It's got a great staff. Everyone's really nice. And all their beers are fucking delicious. Yeah. They know how to do a, a smoky hot dog beer real good. Real they have good. a Roush beer that is just like hot dogs on a campfire. And it's mm, so good. It's so good. Yeah. So I'm drinking two different beers from Queen City tonight because I am really relishing in my gifts yeah. from. You're just literally rolling in it. I, I you know could what? not stop her. She just like, no, fuck this. I'm rolling. I just poured all the beer on the floor and just rolled <laughs> in it. I'm just laying it soak in through my pores. Yeah, pretty much. That's how I'm getting drunk tonight. <laughs> but I started off with their Hefeweizen, which is just like, it's just called Hefeweizen. And it's just a Bavarian style wheat beer. And you're like, oh, basic. But like, there's something about it. It's like real juicy. Yeah. It's real. Basic it's got some, with a twist. It's got, it's like, it's like eating a piece of bread. Yeah, but like so good. great. Oh yeah, like, in a great way. Yeah. Sometimes like some beers are just like yeasty in a this like is gross thin. way. Yeah, this but, is thick with thick. two C's. <laughs> like it's thick so good. Beer. Thick beers. And then yeah, I'm drinking the uh, the hot dog beer. The hot dog beer, which is actually called classic smoked marzins. <laughs> It's a Roush beer. It is a Roush beer. It's fucking delicious. It it tastes... Okay. And I'm saying this in the best way possible. Like, as a complete compliment, it tastes like you're licking a log from a campfire. Yes. It is so good. Like, so if you like smoky, this is, like, peaty and delicious. And and it's, like, legit smoke. It's not like they just dumped a bottle of liquid smoke in there. Yeah, it is not liquid smoke bullshit. This is legit smoke. Mm -hmm. It's so good. So, yeah, again, like, go to Queen City Brewing. It's so fucking good. And we did Queen City because Queen, like, Dancing Queen from ABBA, which is Disco, who I don't talk about at all in this series. <laughs> because I honestly yeah. really don't touch on Euro Disco. Because throughout my That's research... That's a completely different thing, isn't it? Kind of. <sighs> but yes. also it's more pop and, like, mm, it's It's more respected. I think, and it gets, okay. it get like, not here. Nothing. <laughs> America doesn't respect shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've, I've been on, a, on an anti-America kick lately, apparently. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, we really shit on disco, but over in Europe, like, they never had the shit on disco movement like they we They still did. have Eurovision. They still so... have Eurovision. Oh, and ABBA won Eurovision. Yeah, so I'm going to say that 
Europe had a better response to it than we did? Um, they did. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> sounds crazy, right? I don't it's know. Almost it like... sounds completely on par with Europe, yeah, period. It's, it's almost like we're really xenophobic over here <laughs> and, and monotonous, and we don't want change. And we, if we're going to we... have change, we have to be the ones who start it, not another country. We fear change. We do fear change. We are Gar- Garth Algar. I think we did the same exact we bit last week. We did the exact same thing. I'm just repeating wow. it. Wow. All right. So really what I'm getting from this disco series is that America fears change. Yes. And it does. I will 100% get into that. It's so exciting, guys. Get ready for a fucking real whopper of a... Get ready for the bullshit train yeah. pulling into the station. Mm. Choo-choo. Next stop. <laughs> Bullshit station. <laughs> Next stop. Ooh, you Angie. <laughs> we're like, oh, fuck. What do I take? Oh, we're going to Bullshit Station, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. <sighs> Bullshitville. That's right. where we are. Well, let's grab our bags and disembark. <laughs> okay. All right. So picking up right where we left off, we're in the mid-70s, and the new hotness known as disco is on the rise. We're still seeing the underground clubs full of people of all races and genders, dancing their butts off to some sweet 4-4 beats. But by this point, Disco's rising popularity caught the eyes of those who began to scheme up ways to capitalize on this music dance craze. Mm. This episode, I'm going to start off with talking about three main places where Disco was capitalized on, quickly leading it into overexposure. Firstly, the most soulless of all, the record label companies. Yeah. One label was quick to rub those dollar signs out of their eyes. Hmm, which one was it? I don't know if you would know. Really? Um, yeah, they are called Casablanca Records. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know if I you don't know. know. I, they were really big in the 70s and 80s. Sure. But just wait. Okay. So they signed acts like Donna Summer to their label in 1975 and then released the very popular Love to Love You Baby off mm-hmm. of it. And we discussed all that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. See, before Donna, Casablanca really only had one solid act to their name. Oh, God. And some would argue it was just as outrageous as disco music. Oh, no. Even though they were rock. Okay. Known as four men who cover their faces in what some would consider corpse paint paint for kids. No. The one and only kiss. Kids bop corpse paint. No. Paint by numbers corpse paint. <laughs> like your corpse paint looks way too nice. It's not <sighs> real corpse paint. <laughs> Neil Bogart, head of Casablanca. Wait, his name is Neil Bogart and he's head of Casablanca Records. Maybe his Fuck name wasn't this really guy. Neil Bogart. I don't know, but that's Fuck his name. This guy. I didn't okay. go deep into Neil's Sorry. origin story because I just decided I didn't care. <laughs> I was like, oh God, this guy. I don't blame you, but okay. Go on. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, Kiss is great, but also disco. (laughs) I totally understand the correlation, though. I kind of feel like Kiss probably has more connections to disco than they do to actual metal. Mm, Just you wait. So he was the head and would experience the magic of disco at a party firsthand. He was sent a copy of the Love to Love You demo. And he played it at a party that he was hosting. It ended up being so popular that the guests just kept asking him to play it over and over again. They and only with- had to play it like three times and then the party's over. Yeah, right? I mean, like, it's a 20 fucking minute song Seriously. here, people. Like, we just killed three hours. <laughs> with that, he knew the music was something to pay attention to. 
many labels were discovering the recipe for creating disco hits to reach maximum airplay. This would put the ball back in their court, meaning they'd rely less heavily on the DJs who created the mood music in the first place. Mm -hmm. There was still plenty of legit producers and singers, no questions asked. One bright side with a major label backing is that these musicians now have the ability to make more music. And some would go on to have really lengthy careers. I mean, Donna Summer, Diana Ross, you know, the Jacksons, a lot of these people who are dabbling in disco would continue to go on to be popular Shaka Khan throughout the 80s. So there are definitely benefits to this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then there's also commercialization. (laughs) Now these recording companies were able to control the content a little more and reach out to a larger audience. They were looking to appeal to middle America, which meant taking this music originated by black musicians in gay nightclubs and whitening it for the masses. Mm. Mm. This would become a common theme in the late 70s. Hey, disco's real popular. Let's uh, commodify it, mass produce it in every way possible so we can get all the money. Let's exploit the shit out of it, make everybody love it, and then fucking hate it. It's like they basically saw this popular thing and said, this is great, but we want this to be accessible to all people. Which, if you write that on paper, sounds great. But also, when you look into the subtext and you look into what it really means... It really means oversaturation. It means oversaturation, and it means really watering down the true oh, yeah. spirit of disco and making it discount disco Ooh, wish disco <laughs> wish disco. <laughs> i ordered disco on wish. wish and this is what i get this is what i got oh goodness a notable difference when you compare rock music to disco is personality mm-hmm. rock was about the musician worshiping the man on stage like in the cases of robert plant mick jagger bob dylan and disco wasn't about the individual. Disco was really about bringing everyone together on the dance floor. You know, right. when it came to making music videos or any kind of publicity, it's not like you're going to sol- showcase the it's producer. Not ne- yeah, it's not necessarily the artist that you're there to see. It's you're going to a club to hear the music, yeah, but also dance your fucking head off and yeah. also snort so much cocaine you don't know what you are or <laughs> I'm what you're elephant. doing <laughs> you know that's it's all about the vibe of the yeah. place that you're in not necessarily the person who is on stage right and for what it's worth i think both experiences matter and both experiences Absolutely. are important oh so yeah i don't want to like go into the saying that you know sometimes it's amazing to go to a rock show and see this person that you think is an amazing musician and watch them showcase their talents of course that's amazing yeah i mean that's like basically the point of a rock show mm-hmm. but sometimes you just want to go stand on top of the radiator and dance your ass off yeah. and you don't like, give a fuck who's singing right record execs noticed this difference and wondered hmm, well what if we put together a group that everyone could immediately identify with and that was exactly what Moroccan music producers Henry Bololo and Jacques Morali did. The duo was known as Can't Stop Productions, and they were rather successful in Europe, so they decided to try their luck in America. They saw a newly available art market with the gay scene, and Jacques himself was gay. So they decided to try to find the sound and personalities to play for that community. Cool. So it's like, yeah, they're commercializing it and commodifying it, but I think... Because Jacques was in that, you know, subsection of a group, like, he was like, but I still want to appeal to them. But it also makes it 
more accessible to um to gay people who are not necessarily in that like um like in the disco scene in the scene yeah well and actually this will make a lot of sense at this point you know when disco was first starting homosexuals male homosexuals were very much viewed as like you know wispy yeah i hate that effeminate. i just listened for that i'm sorry that that was rude but um just wispy effeminate very like the, delicate the limp wrist yes. trope but throughout like the mid 70s they really became like this more machismo kind look of, kind of because freddie mercury kind of did that oh he definitely was a part of that yeah, yeah like the minute he was definitely signaling at that point like hey yeah but like you see this mustache and you see like these tank tops like these tight tight ass pants and these tight ass pants like and this tight man. ass and like i'm a, I'm a and man yeah and muscles yeah you know they're dancing at these discos they're getting hot they're taking their shirts off mm-hmm. they want to have something to show off right so after going to a new york city bar where they caught a bartender dancing around Dressed as a Native American, they were inspired. I know where this is going. Oh, you know where this is going. (laughs) Create a group of what could be viewed as, quote, typically masculine American men. They put ads in the paper asking for macho types with a mustache. Like macho, macho men? men? Yeah, yeah. Macho, macho men. Sometimes (laughs) nacho men. They nacho men. They ended up with a cowboy, Native American, construction worker, a biker dressed in leather and topped off with the lead singer. Actually, he was the only singer. Victor Willis dressed as a cop. He was the only singer? Mm-hmm. Wow. They would call this group the Village People and would become a part of Casablanca Records. Because Casablanca Records is like, yo, we can make money off this shit. They were right. They were right. The songs were mainly penned by Henry, Jacques, and Victor. I don't think I need to remind you of these hits. Songs Mm. that are still used in pop culture today, like YMCA and the aforementioned Macho Macho Man. The village people became a staple of disco for the later half of the 70s. Didn't... Wait, am I imagining this, or did Donald Trump use one of those songs? He used YMCA. Right? Yeah. And initially, I guess... The village people were cool with him using their songs, but then I think later on Victor said, "Can you not use our songs?" <laughs> it's it's honestly the history of the village people is messy because it goes through twenty million different people. Because honestly, yeah. none of them were singing except for Victor, right? So the turnaround was pretty, pretty yeah. Like quick, after right? the, I think like once the eighties hit, you it, know, you it were was seeing, like people were in and out, in and out, in honestly, and out. in and out. And I think even nowadays, um, you have a couple original members, but then you have some new members yeah. for various reasons. So it's. But honestly, please, when I tell you, when I say the term "the village people," <laughs> please try and conjure up a single face in your brain. You can't. You can't. You can't. You you see a cop. You see a construction worker. You see, you see the a Native indigenous American. person. You see a Native American. You see all these things, <laughs> but you have no fucking clue who is under each hat. No. No idea. No idea. And I don't either. So no. I am in on this as well. I have, but a, like, I have a slightly better idea because, again, I have to educate myself as well. Right. So, like, after watching, you know, reading books and watching documentaries, there yeah. you go. There you go. Jacques very much wanted to showcase subverted gay messages in his songs, 
and make them still work on the dance floor. You know, he wants to celebrate homosexuality because they don't get to fucking do I that. I like this guy. Yeah, no, Jacques was great. He's getting all that shit, like, slipped in oh, there. Oh, he's slipping it all in there. But it's still, like, good, clean fun. Exactly. Like, it's not. It's fucking brilliant. It's super fun. Tricking all of these conservative gay? pieces of shit into thinking that they're just listening to good old wholesome fun. Tipper Gore's over here like, yeah, YMCA. I love this. Oh it's like, gosh. this is the gayest song that has ever gayed. In yeah. the entire existence of gayness. I'll get it, I'll get into why YMCA is super gay in a hot second. <laughs> <laughs> now we can all very much see that in the Village People discography, they're just real gay. Mm-hmm. First of all, they were named the Village People after Greenwich Village in New York City, which is mm. super gay. Super gay. Has a huge gay history. In addition, back in the 70s, the YMCA... Yes, it was a gym, but it was frequented by gay men who were cruising for other gay men. Yep. You're uh, you're having a good time at the YMCA because you're getting laid. <laughs> and it's boning. the only place you can bone in, like, peace. <laughs> Honestly, it is the Honestly. only place you can bone in peace in New York City at the time. In the Navy, has a, the stereotype of sailors being gay with each other while on those ships for, like, months at a time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Macho Man, come on. At the time, like I said earlier, gay fashion went from the effeminate to the quote unquote macho look. That's yep. exactly what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the video, it's just these men who are all like muscly and mustache fucking like using the it's machines basically and gay weightlifting. Porn. I mean, it's softcore gay porn, <laughs> but like lighthearted softcore like- gay porn. Available on your regular television kind yeah, of Yeah, it's on MTV. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. It's fine. You can fap to it. It's cool. I mean, you know what? I fap to worse. Yeah. <laughs> the best part is how much the village people themselves, though, deny any homosexual tones. <laughs> Still now? Oh, yeah. So what? if you go... And watch the documentary I told you guys about last week uh-huh. about uh, the disco takeover. <laughs> about the disco. <laughs> about the disco takeover. About the whole subject that I'm talking about. No, uh-huh. honestly. So they have a whole interview with the village people. And they're like, it wasn't gay. This was like literal. And <laughs> you hear the documentarian saying like, wait, wait. So you guys think In the Navy is actually a song about being in the Navy? Like, yeah, it is. And then they said that the y- YMCA was a filler song. They needed one more song for the record, so they just made something no, it's up. it's not. It's oh not. Oh, my God. But then flip over to Henry, because unfortunately Jacques has passed away. Mm-hmm. And Henry's all like, yeah, it was gay. Jacques wrote songs about being gay, and he wanted... And so... The documentary to go back to me. You don't see any subverted gay messages. No, we made it funny because we had to make it funny because all the songs were serious. What? And I, I sense so much gay denial now. So much. I so think, much delusion. I think a few of them were gay. Um, not all of them, and I think whoever wasn't gay was like, you know, I'm not gay. What the? So fuck? like these songs aren't gay. I think there's just a lot of denial. Just, it's so funny to like now, watch them just, in this. I need to do a deep dive into the village people and find out who these people are and why they would deny such things. It's so crazy. I'm like, guys, it's gay. And you know what? You can be straight and 
celebrate people being gay and give them an outlet. It's and also, nice for them. And also, like, if that is how you want to interpret the song, okay, that's fine. But, like, at least acknowledge the fact that the person who wrote it was part of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and probably wrote it about getting laid at the YMCA. Yeah. In the Navy is about fucking your fellow Navy people. Right. Like, you can acknowledge that and still be like, no, but this is how I interpret it. Right. Like, you want to be a macho man because when you go to the disco and take your shirt off in front of the other men, you want something to show off. Right. (laughs) And it's fine. Oh, guys, what? Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah, honestly. I'll give you another example in a Mm. hot second. Mm. Okay, we'll put this on hold for for a hot second. You can keep it. You can keep it right here. To those who are already in the anti-disco camp, the village people represented the manufactured cheese that they complained disco was bringing to the world of music. Understandable. Okay. But plenty of nightclub goers, including the gay community, had fun with these jams. And you know what? Honestly, these are legit some jams. I want to play for you just a little bit of San Francisco because the song, I was like, yeah. Like the songs that I haven't heard by the village people, I am quite interested in. So, yes, good. San Francisco. Seriously, which it's is the gayest gay. city in the United States. Well, it's up there for sure. Top five, at Top least. Top five. But yeah, like, come on, guys. And it's called, you know, he sings about freedom. It, Jacques is writing about the freedom for people to be gay. Yeah. Guys, it's gay <laughs> and it's wonderful. And I'm, you should be proud that you were a part of a group that condoned and gave permission and allowed the gay community to be proud of who they are. Yeah. Like, it's great. I which, commend which you. Which makes me really want to do a deep dive into these guys because I know there's like 85 of them. Yes. But like <laughs> At least 20. I'm <laughs> not like, even kidding. I think there's at least 20. But it makes me wonder, like, why, why did you think that it was so literal and <laughs> so... Know. 100% not at all about the gay community at know. any point. I, I don't. don't. I'm so perplexed by all of this. Yeah. Well, that was that was a nice bit of a little, little chunky fun for you yeah, there. Yeah, are we going to get <laughs> angry now? Not quite yet. Okay. But, you know. So seasoned musicians were seeing the popularity rising with disco music, and they were also feeling the pressure to jump on this bandwagon. Sometimes for the better... And sometimes for the worse. Rockers and R&B musicians alike were going disco. Throughout the last years of the 70s, it was one artist after another playing with the disco sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Paul McCartney and Wings dabbling with, You think they better better with a silly love songs. <laughs> How does that go? You want to think they better with a silly love songs. <laughs> silly love songs. Yeah. Well, I tried. <laughs> and then Rod Stewart with his overtly disco. If you know my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, sugar, let me know. You know, he actually really fucking hates that song. Good. 
And it, yeah. Do you think I'm sexy? Yeah. And rockers around the world oh, died a oh little no. when oh their no. heroes kiss went disco with I was made for loving you. Yeah. absolutely nothing sexy about watching those fucking hell clowns singing that <laughs> song at you. Oh my god, Gene Simmons is making the worst, dumbest faces. Absolutely horrible. But honestly, watching them too is the only time I find them somewhat endearing. And I don't even I don't find know them endearing. Endearing, endearing them, isn't the right word. I find them like, entertaining. Yes, entertaining. I am never entertained by Kiss except yeah. right There is here. not a single part of me that's like, Oh no! It's yeah, only it's not ah. Uh, it's just like oh my god, this I, is hilarious! This is hilarious, yeah. and you are making me laugh right and now. And honestly, you know what? This song is a legit jam. I actually kind of like it. Yeah, it's, it's fine. The only time I'm like, I could bop to this Kiss song because yeah. yeah. honestly, other than that, like wow, Kiss does not do it for me. No, no. In fact, the fact that I think all Kiss fans probably hate this song makes me like it more. That and uh, that song, Beth. Oh, I like Beth. I like Beth because everybody fucking hates it. Everybody fucking hates it. Um, But also, too, like, I think it's kind of like a shitty song. But like, sorry, Beth, I gotta get going because, like, me and the boys gotta get on the road. But it's a pretty song. It's it's a fine song. It's a like if you don't think too much about it, it's it's a a brandy. You're a fine girl of a song. Because let me tell you, (laughs) every time I walked into a fucking store in Vermont this weekend, guess what was playing? Brandy or a fine Yes, girl. and I fucking can't stand it. <laughs> I love it. Oh. So, of course, with labels creating more and more disco music to be played, radio had to quickly follow suit and get these songs on constant rotation. Mm-hmm. In fact, it wasn't long before some stations were becoming strictly disco. Like it or lump it, DJs were being forced to change formats or leave when the com- radio company they worked for would go from rock to disco in order to monetize on its popularity. So, can we start a show called Strictly Come Disco? Strictly Come Disco? <laughs> because Strictly, or Strictly, is it Strictly Come Dancing or Strictly Go Dancing? That is the British version of Dancing with the Stars. I don't know. I want to do that. All and right. I want everyone to do disco dancing. All right. I want I everyone do to do the hustle for like, 15 straight seasons. <laughs> just just judging, the hustle. Just every celebrities on how they do the hustle. Yeah, every episode, every celebrity is doing the hustle. Yeah, but like, can we get any celebrity? Because I'm thinking of some celebrity butts I would love to watch. I right want to see. What is with me tonight? I just want to watch butts. I want to see Jason Momoa's butt do the hustle. I want to watch Chris Evans' butt do the muscle. At muscle this, hustle. At, at the. 
at the same time, and it can be called the muscle hustle. Oh, God, yes. All right. We did it, folks. You know what? We're quitting the, the podcast business. We found our lucrative yes. moneymaker. It is strictly come dancing, which is so <laughs> yeah, suggestive. I was, like, I was like, what? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> Some DJs were on board with this change and also were looking to get on this gravy train. Like one Mr. Rick D's, who you may know from Rick D's t- weekly top 40 countdown, which you can still hear on internet radio station. I thought you were going to say Rick from D's Rick nuts. D's Nuts, the nut company. I don't think you understand when I was writing the, these notes how many times I would write Rick D's and then say out loud to no one, D's Rick nuts. D's Nuts. Like, every time. How does he not have a lucrative online nut business? He really... Rick D's nuts. Rick D's nuts. Uh, you're, you're not going to find him that funny and cute after a couple minutes. Yeah. Hold on. So in 1976, he wrote and released a song called Disco Duck. An asinine, simplified, camp-ass song about him going to a club and turning into a duck on the dance floor. And then everyone started to do a dance called the duck, which apparently was influenced by this song from the 1960s called The Duck. What? Yeah, he wrote this song called Disco Duck. It was a disco song. It's fucking atrocious. I will not play it because I fucking hate it. I don't think I've ever heard it. Good. (laughs) Good. Keep it that way. Mm. It's not worth your eardrums time. Okay. The station he originally worked... Eardrums. It's not worth your eardrums this time. It's not. The station he originally worked for, WMPS, feared FCC backlash of conflict of interest so they wouldn't let him play the song. Well, he did it anyways, and they fired him. The song became an unfortunate surprise hit. So when he went to a rival station, WHBQ, they let him play it whenever he pleased. So was this the official death knell of disco? It's definitely a start. Didn't help. Turning point. I think this was definitely, yeah. You know what? The village people are fun. You know what? Honestly, I think, do you think I'm sexy as a jam? Disco yeah. Duck is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's the fucking worst. Thing. It's an obvious cash grab, and it's, like, infuriatingly so. Yeah, I mean, Do You Think I'm Sexy is a pretty cheesy song, and it has some disco influence to it, mm. but I wouldn't say it strays very far from Rod Stewart's repertoire no, anyway. No. So I wouldn't even consider something like that a death knell for it, or, oh, this is the the downfall of disco or anything. Yeah. And honestly, the like, Kiss doing disco makes 100% sense because they're on Casablanca Records. Casablanca's probably like, yo, make a disco song. And they're like, yeah. all right, we see money. Exactly. Like, don't think that Kiss is some pure rocker band. They're not. They want to make money. They have a very, very fine shred of dignity left. Do they? Very fine. Okay. Very fine. A gossamer just... thread of dignity. Look, like, they're putting their faces on lunchboxes, guys. Exactly. They were in it for the exactly. fucking money. That is why I say a singular gossamer thread of dignity yeah. that is barely visible. Well, so back to Rick D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Homeboy wanted to hell a profit from this song. Of course. He performed it on TV and as a single, it managed to reach platinum status. <gasps> what? It really? reached platinum. Platinum? I would be like, okay, gold, maybe, but platinum? Yeah. Believe me, I hated reading that just wow. as much as I hated saying it right now. Wow. Many thought the voice actor 
For Donald Duck, Clarence Nash was the disco duck because it like identical. Fucking identical. So it is in the voice of Donald Duck. Yeah. It's Rick D singing, but also Donald Duckish. Oh my god. Duck. The disco duck and Donald Duck are cousins for sure. Oh my god. Well, however, it was actually a guy Rick met at the gym named Kenneth Pruitt, who clearly met. was very good at a duck voice. Met at the gym. He met him at the gym and he could do a really good duck oh, voice. Did they meet at the YMCA? Because they should have. Oh, well, that's just a sweet love story. Isn't it? It's not, though. Mm. Mm. So he recorded the vocals and even dressed as a duck in a duck suit for a few of the performances for it. Cool. So despite how much money Rick was making on the song, he only paid Kenneth $188. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Of course. Classy. Yeah. (laughs) Someone ended up in a lawsuit (laughs) that was likely settled out of court Mm. because I couldn't find anything beyond went to court over. (laughs) And I'm like, all right. Okay. Gave him exactly what he was fucking deserved. So either dismissed or. I'm assuming Rick was like, all right, I guess I should give you more because I became a fucking wealthy man over this shit song. Yeah. I put the story in because if you only look at this aspect of disco, I can understand why you would hate it as a genre. Watching someone profit off of such a corny and lazy attempt at a cash grab is really annoying. Yeah. But then again, Imagine Dragons exists and everyone still takes rock seriously, so. Yeah. I mean, Slipknot exists and people still listen to metal. Yeah. So maybe like we should pump the brakes a little bit, kids. Yeah. Hmm. Not every DJ welcomed this change to form, though. Steve Dahl worked for WDAI in Chicago, where he ran a morning shock jock radio show called Steve Dahl's Rude Awakening Show. Insert toilet flush sound. Weenie in the butt. <laughs> it was weenie in the butt, but just it was just weenie. <laughs> yeah. And or the butt. I imagine it sounds like any morning show on a classic rock station. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I got from the just like free beer and hot, hot wings, wings, which Ugh. always does make me kind of hungry when I hear the name. It does. But also those guys are awful. It was 1978 and his morning show wasn't super popular, mm. but with the current musical climate, I'm sure most rock stations weren't doing great. Mm. And this one must not have because Christmas Eve that year. He was fired, and WDAI turned into an all-disco channel. This is the plot of Airheads. It is. This is the plot of Airheads. I want you to know that I 100% thought of Airheads immediately. This is the plot of Airheads. Fucking, that, what's that actor's name? Michael Face? Michael McKean? Michael McKean walks in and fires with Steve Dahl. With his dumb ponytail. With his dumb ponytail. And then fucking Brendan Fraser and... Adam Sandler and Steve Buscemi come in and just take over and keep it rock. No, all right. So there might be some empathy that can there's there there is actually some empathy that you can have here towards Steve. Like okay. that's bullshit. We've seen Airheads. Absolutely, that's some fucked up shit to do, especially, especially on Christmas. Christmas Eve. Why would you do that? And like, it must really suck for any DJ who lost their job to a genre that they already hate. Like, I can only imagine if I was working for some indie rock station. They're like, we're just going to play Taylor Swift all the time. I'd be pissed. This is also literally the plot of an episode of Bob's Burgers. There you go. (laughs) It's a lot of plots of of movies that you're like, oh my God. Because it's a thing that happens. It is a thing that happens and it is a thing that sucks. And most people just get up and move on because layoffs are garbage, plain and simple. But he didn't. 
However, this is about as far as my sympathies for Steve will go Okay, in this story. Because oh, no. we're going to come back later and he's going to play a much more villainous part. <gasps> oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. I love surprise Surprise comebacks. Surprise comebacks, but not and you're not gonna like you're not gonna want but this I, comeback. But I love to hate them. <laughs> We're hearing disco everywhere. It was being manufactured at neck breaking speeds, so it was only a matter of time before we started to see it everywhere too. Yeah, we had disco on TV with shows like Soul Train, but in nineteen seventy seven it was time for Hollywood to be cashing in on that disco craze. Oh with a little film no. called Saturday Night Fever. What is that? Ha, 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 oh, okay. Stay alive. It's my funky bass line. Oh. <laughs> have you ever seen Saturday Night Fever? I have not. Okay. Nor do I really want to. You don't. I will shout out our, our sister podcast friends. Like I always do, Muses. They had a Patreon episode about. Uh, Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. You don't want to watch it. You don't want. Like, guess what? You don't want to watch it. Yeah. Oof a doof. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. That's a no go. I mean, honestly, Saturday Night Fever could be an episode all in itself. There's a lot behind the script, the music, the casting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't want to take up three hours of your life. So allow me to once again do my best Reader's Digest of this movie. Cliff notes. Give me them cliff notes. All right. Notes on these cliffs. Let's go. The year prior, an article came out in the New York magazine called Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. It was written by a British rock journalist named Nick Cohen, who had recently moved to the States and wanted to write about the working class over here and the culture that surrounds it. Okay. Now, the article that Nick wrote, he was following a man named Vincent, who lived an average life in Brooklyn, working the week to make ends meet, but on Saturday night at the disco, that's where he found his true passion as the best dancer Bay Ridge had ever seen. Oh, boy. Vincent's story was in-depth and inspiring, so much so that film producer Robert Stigwood decided to buy the rights to the story to create a film. And from there, Saturday Night Fever was born. Okay. So, like, the plot of Saturday Night Fever, very similar to the story that Nick wrote. Right. Robert was also the producer for the English music group The Bee Gees. Oh. Yeah. Who had already seen popularity through the 60s with classic rock, R&B hits that are a stark contrast to the upbeat songs that we know them best for. Extremely different. Like, the song I just sang, everyone knows Staying Alive. Mm -hmm. But before that, they were singing songs like To Love Somebody. Mm. But what does it I love that song. I didn't know that was the Bee Gees. Who? I didn't know the Bee Gees had a career before disco. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. This was like the shit that I found out through my research that blew my fucking <laughs> mind. I was like, oh, what? They, I'm pretty sure that they had a lot of songs pre-Saturday Night Live that people did post-Saturday Night yes. Live that became hugely popular. 
like this well, song. Well, they were but very I, big in Australia mm-hmm. and in Europe. They, I think they like they like tickled the balls of America, but they never like went full grope. Yeah. Um. They also had that song, like the joke, the joke. I told a joke, and the joke was on me, or whatever. You know, that <laughs> yes, song? yes, yes. I, I told a joke, and it was on me. Yeah. <laughs> That's those are the lyrics. Yeah, I told a joke. And the whole world laughed or something like that? The whole that. world laughed and I found out it, it was, was me who they were laughing at. Those are the exact lyrics. <laughs> yep, I did it. Totally flows with the music. <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, that actually is a quite quite a good song. Yeah. So, I mean, like, already had a great career, but then they broke up. All this shit happens with the Bee Gees. Uh, they could be their own episode easily. Oh, Yeah. I would, actually, like, I would like to do an episode on the Bee Gees because it would just be an hour and a half of you going, they did this song? <laughs> they God. what? God they did it. this Shots song? Shots fired. Only for the first half. All right. <laughs> Once they get back together, I know their shit. So, like I said, all you really need to know at this point, they had these hits beforehand. Mm-hmm. They broke up. And then they reformed just as the brothers Gib. Mm-hmm. So, then they come back together. And at first, they were still performing more soulful ballads, but by the mid-70s, at Robert's suggestion, they went for a dancier sound and became disco. So by the time Saturday Night Fever was under production, it made all the sense in the world for them to be the backing soundtrack, which skyrocketed them to their penultimate fame. Mm -hmm. They threw upcoming star John Travolta, known at that time for Welcome Back, Kata. Yep. A Kata. Honestly. Of John Travolta. I still love that i've never seen it you've never had a bread sandwich was Sorry. that just bread no that's <laughs> that was from family guy but it's oh. still very welcome back <laughs> well he played the role of tony monero whose life mirrored that of vincent from the article and despite disco being very viewed as very <clears throat> gay by the general public tony represented a man's man and he loved dancing but that didn't mean he was a quote-unquote fruit he still had a big dick, and he sticks it in vaginas. Hey, my dick's big. I stick it in a vagina. I ain't no fruit. <laughs> and and trust me, in the movie, they used really fucking offensive language oh, to describe sure. queer people, people of color. It's fucking gross. Because I am sure. Women. Because I am sure that at every possible turn that they could, they needed to remind you that he is a well endowed and very straight white man. Yeah. So like. For most of the movie, he's hanging with the boys. He's making fun of dudes Eating for being bread the sandwiches. <laughs> he's making bread sandwiches. He there's sexual assault and rape. There's passive cool. racism. Yeah, you know what? This movie isn't about true disco. Well, I don't need to watch it you anymore. Don't. It's about what Hollywood wanted to portray disco as to appeal to white men. They wanted <laughs> white men to think this is what disco was so that they'd be cool with disco. Which is the exact fucking opposite of what disco was. Yes. Holy fucking shit. It, it was... Ah, I'm already angry. Yeah, I, I told you you'd get angry. And I actually read this really interesting article that's like, looking back on Saturday Night Fever nowadays, it's almost like they're punishing women. Because the women in the movie um, are actually pretty strong-willed. Thank, again, thanks, Shanti and Lynx, because I had no fucking idea. Like, yeah. the two main women... We'll talk back to the men and they like live their lives. They're successful. They're trying to like, you know, they're trying to be their own people. Uh And one of them gets raped. One of them is assaulted. And it's like this article talks about how this movie is almost telling women 
you should be punished for trying to step outside of your box. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's kind of the vibe that this movie portrays is it's not like celebrating women. It's almost saying, well, know your fucking role. Yeah. And um, whatever you're wearing, stop it mm-hmm. Um, because it's your fault. What do you expect is going to happen if you hang out with a bunch of boys? Yeah, They're if, going to rape you. What eventually. do you expect if you wear a short skirt? What do you expect if you have some cleavage? Yeah. What do you expect? If you're going to go out dancing with the boys, yeah, they're going to want to have sex with you. Yeah. Duh. So, like, that's, it's all very of this much. This is your fault. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, of course. They, they have one shining moment where uh, Tony and his dance partner, they beat out this Puerto Rican couple, I guess, at the end to like win the whole competition mm-hmm. but he's like hey i shouldn't have won i'm not the better dancer here you take the trophy you're a better dancer also here's a bread sandwich all right i'll see you later <laughs> oh such a such a stand-up guy yeah and like i what think a, that was like what their... an amazing male specimen you know what's really sad though is like for the 70s that passed as like gold medal like humanitarian yeah. work yeah so yeah well stay gold pony boy i guess so, all right. All of this is pissing you off, right? Yeah. All of this is, like, not the accurate portrayal of disco. And this could be in part due to the fact that Nick Khan's story about Vincent dancing at the 2001 Odyssey Remember Club this. was a complete fabrication. Complete bullshit. All made up. I totally fucking remember this. Made it all up so he had something to write about because he wanted to write about it. And then he didn't, like he didn't do the research, so he just made. And then it he up. was like, "Oh fuck, I didn't read the oh, book." That's right. <laughs> I said I was going to write an article, and I didn't. Oh, I better do that now. I don't know what accent that is. Is it Australian? Is it Cockney? I don't fucking Nobody know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. While he did make an attempt to go to a club one night, he arrived on the scene when a fight was breaking out in front, and one of the participants proceeded to vomit on Nick's pants. So he immediately (laughs) got back into his cab and went home. Oh, that's hilarious. Little pansy British boy. Wow. Yeah, that's what happened. So the character of Vincent ends up becoming a combination of a guy he saw out front of the club, dressed in a tight shirt and flared pants, just kind of calmly watching the action as everything went down. Mm Mm-hmm. It also reminded him of a mod friend he grew up with back in England. So it's a like this amalgamation of just these two people, like one he didn't know, one he did, and he just made up a story based on that. And like what he imagined the American struggle is. <laughs> sure. Sure. Just imagine it. It's fine. He took the inspiration and ran with it, creating an origin story and beyond. Of this fictional representation of disco. What do you what do you think this is? Oprah's book club? Honestly. Like, come on. He didn't even come clean about this until nearly 20 years later in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. Didn't matter. When everyone was like, nah, that's fine. Whatever. It didn't even matter. It didn't even matter. Because you know what? Saturday Night Fever was a box office smash and is still fondly looked upon as a classic film today. Which it should not. It should not be. But here's the problem with all of these cash grabs, right? None of them truly represented disco. Agreed. Disco wasn't just a genre of music. It was a lifestyle. It was about unity and inclusivity. It didn't matter if you were gay, straight, male, female, black, white, what have you. Mm -hmm. Everyone was out to escape the bullshit of their everyday working class lives because everyone's lives kind of sucked. Yeah, tell me about it. Just did. (laughs) Now, the mainstream had a hold on disco, 
which wasn't even what the originators called it. That was a term that was brought out by journalists who were on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this whole thing is starting to be just completely taken over by outsiders. Yeah. And rich people who want to fucking commodify it. Yep. More rich. Yeah. Rich white people. They're just now appropriating this ideology and distorting it to fit their own narrative. Not only had the labels and movie industries created disco in their own image for their own capitalist benefits, but now clubs themselves were being franchised all across America. No. After the release of Saturday Night Fever, 15 to 20,000 discos opened up. The fuck? Yeah, across the country. Holy shit. Dance schools were now offering disco lessons to suburban housewives and their reluctant husbands. Because now that John Travolta did it, it's not gay. This is like the precursor to Zumba? Probably. The special otherness that brought misfits together on the dance floor was gone. And nothing represented that more than the behemoth of the 70s that was Studio 54. Yeah. Yeah. It's like synonymous with disco now. Unfortunately, which it shouldn't be. Mm. The building itself was originally built as an opera house in 1927. And from there, it transferred ownership over and over again, became a theater, and then CBS Studio 52, where it was used for radio and TV. Mm Mm-hmm. But in 1977, it was once again revamped into a dance club by Steve Rubell and Ian Schrager. This place was a sanctuary for the beautiful people. Mm. And as many of you probably already know, it hosted a plethora of famous types from Andy Warhol to Mick Jagger to Liza Minnelli and beyond. To Grace Jones. Mm, but she's cool. She can she can go where the she fuck can, she wants. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. Grace Jones can do whatever the fuck she wants. Seriously. Also, the, go listen to our Grace Jones episode. It was yeah. a really good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference it in just a moment. Mm. <laughs> Those privy to the scene saw it as a place where everyone let loose, and it didn't matter if you were wealthy or what your sexual orientation was or the color of your skin. But it's easy to say that when you're allowed in. Mm-hmm. The thing that really made Studio 54 such a big deal was his exclusivity. This was not an easy club to get into, Couples would get separated if one was more attractive than the other. And even some celebrities were turned away. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a story about um, Warren Beatty getting turned away. (laughs) And then, of course, there's the classic story that we did touch on in our Grace Jones episode of the band Chic. Yes. Namely, the members Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards. Nile Rodgers, who is now one of the most famous producers and writers that has ever existed. You would not have any of the amazing music you do now if you didn't have Nile Rodgers. So fuck Legit. off, Studio 54. Legit. So we touched on this. We're going to tell the story again because it's a really fun it's story. Great, and it's really fun to say. Um, But in an interview, like straight from Niles's mouth, the story goes... He and Bernard, friends with Grace, she's like, I'm performing at Studio 54. You're going to go into the back door. You're going to tell him, you're my friend. You're here to see me. Um, like, you're on my list. Mm-hmm. Now, Grace has this very thick accent. Yes. <laughs> Niall, the way Niall tells it, he's like, I thought that's how I was supposed to talk to the guy in the back. I'm not going to even try to make up, like, try to do Grace Jones's uh, affectations because it's too beautiful for my mouth <laughs> for my ugly mouth um but basically he goes up and he says like kind of in this deep like 
you know, like, I don't even know what her accent was. It was like, she had a Jamaican accent. Yeah, like this deep it was Jamaican like patois. Yeah, it was super, so, ugh, her It's like half beautiful. Jamaican, half French, and very tongue rolly. Yes. Something so, that I am too plebeian to even. Right, we're not going to try. I, I just tried, and it was terrible. You know what? It was so better sorry. than anything I could I am done. so sorry. I am not worthy. We're not worthy of you, Grace Jones. Praise, praise be grace. Praise be grace. Yes. So Niall goes to the doorman and kind of in that Jamaican French patois accent mm-hmm. tries to say like, oh, we're friends with Grace and we're here to see Grace. And the guy's kind of looking at him and then he just says, fuck off and closes the door <laughs> in their faces. And they were pissed. Yeah. They were understandably pissed. And I think they tried another time to get it. And the guy's like, I thought I told you to fuck off. Yeah. He's like, fine, fuck you. So they're kicking rocks on the way home to Niles' apartment uh-huh. in Manhattan. Go kick rocks. And then they go to Niles' apartment. And they start jamming. And then they come up with this sweet beat. And they're like, yeah, this is great. And then they're like thinking about how much they fucking hate Studio 54. Yeah. And that fucking guy. And they just go, oh, uh, fuck off. Do, 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 do. Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. Do, 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 do. Fuck off. Fuck off. And they were like, we've got a fucking hit on our hands. But they were like, we can't play fuck off on the radio. So fuck off turns into, oh, freak out. And then you have, they freak. Say chic. Freak out. By chic. And... You know what? It's the one only of the good best origin stories I've ever. One of the only heard. good things to come out of Studio Fifty Four yeah. is that fucking song. Yes. Sometimes the owners would keep lines of people outside, even if there was practically no one in the club, just so they could keep up appearances of being the most desirable place. This is to like be. the origin story of that trope of mm-hmm. like exclusive clubs where there's a huge line outside and some bouncer who's like looking everyone up and down like nah you're not worthy get the mm-hmm. fuck out of here nah you pretty you come in yeah or like that is, is this is it this, this is, is it. it it's on it's disgusting i hate it the village voice joked that studio 54 was not just quote the be all and end all it was the be there or end it all <sighs> Like, Ouch. everyone just needed to just to say they went in. Yeah. It was so fucking weird. And there are crazy stories of people doing whatever they could to get in. A woman was forced to stand outside topless in the winter and ended up in the hospital with frostbite. Why? He was like Steve, the one of the owners, Steve. He was just like, hey, take care of your shirt and stand out here for 30 minutes and you can come in. That's so fucking stupid. It's stupid. That guy should have been arrested and charged with something. Well, actually. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) He doesn't get arrested for that. But also, um, they ended up uh, having a man who tried to sneak in, got stuck in the rafters and died there. I'm sorry. A man tried to sneak in like through the rafters and like the ceiling. This is the subplot of Airheads. (laughs) With Michael Richards. <laughs> Airheads is just disco. It really is. Wow. Wowie, wow, wow, it is. <laughs> Inside, the club was filled with dancing, of course, but the real parties were happening out of sight, where celebrities were doing mountains of cocaine and boning anything that moved. Gross. They believe they were experiencing this disco mythos they heard so much of. You know, they're like, oh, my God, we're just like free to do whatever we want. But I am. Mm. 
Yeah, in reality, uh, they were commodifying a scene that was about togetherness and turning it into Hollywood bullshit. Sorry, but fucking a busboy outside of the kitchen doesn't make you a down-to-earth person. No, and it doesn't make you part of a scene. It just makes you fucking gross. Yeah, that's all it was. And there are stories of people who got in and would say, I was on the dance floor and I still felt left out. Because you knew around the dance floor and like the dark booths and the private rooms, the real shit was going down in there. Yeah. Like legit, they're like orgies and shit because going on. Because you were not going to Studio 54 to dance. You were going there to do as many drugs as possible, fuck as many people as possible, drink as much as possible, and be as debaucherous as possible. Right. And you weren't going there to have, you know, a good old dance in time. No. And honestly, what pisses me off is the fact that Studio 54 was what made that that um, idea that conservatives had of disco a reality. Yeah, of course, like at original discos before it was disco, at the nightclubs that were held in people's lofts. Yeah, yeah, of course, there was like drugs and fucking, but that wasn't what you were going for. You were going to dance and socialize and blow off steam. Right. But then, of course, rich people come in and they're like, mm, I'm going to take this for myself yeah. and have my own good time. You weren't going there as a tourist. No. All of these people were going there as a disco tourist. Mm-hmm. And that is the gross thing. Because they could go home and just live their normal lives as mm-hmm. a normal person in society. Well. But people who were doing this from the beginning were going there because they were not a normal person in society. Right. They weren't, you know, a straight white person just going about their business working at a office or whatever and making a living for themselves there were people that had real fucking problems right they're not lawyers or rich people or celebrities that could like go back to their lives the next day yeah they're not future yuppies or something like that they were people that could not just physically or mentally go back to a quote-unquote normal life yeah like they needed sunday to recover and monday it's like all right i have to go back to acting like i'm not gay right or monday i have to go back to being okay with being like sexually harassed by my boss right or have to be okay with being called the n-word right that's what real disco real just like the real culture was right that was the place where they actually felt at home but these fucking assholes are coming in with all of their blow and their blow jobs Mm -hmm. and doing this shit in the corners of studio 54 thinking like yeah i'm 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 in this i'm in this fucking scene i'm part of the scene i'm part of this scene this is social media before it was social media but you're just ruining it for everyone exactly so Studio 54 became insanely successful for Steve and Ian. It had been pro- proclaimed in a New York City newspaper that they made a cool $7 million in one year, which wow. grabbed the attention of the IRS. Huh. Soon after, it was discovered that the boys were taken a little off the top in the realm of $2.5 million and were thusly arrested. Yeah. Mm, tax evasion. The last night of celebrations... There was, at Studio 54, was in 1980. It would be sold the following year. They attempted to keep the name Studio 54 alive with just knockoffs and bullshit and all the stuff there, but it was to no avail. So Studio 54 proper was only around for a year? Just like two years. Okay. Three years. Wow. That's like no time at all. Like actual Studio 54. They kept the name for a while, but it just wasn't what it was so pre and post what's his face that you know got that originally had it steven ian yeah Yeah. 
So, like, them owning it and post was only, like, three years. Yeah. I'd say about three years. Damn. I know. That's a very short amount of time. Yeah. Well, don't fucking evade taxes. Stop snorting all of your shit up your nose. Yeah, and, maybe. You know. Like, yeah, you want to do some coke, that's fine. But, like, don't do all the coke. Just do some <laughs> do of the coke. Don't do all of it. Don't do Scarface amounts of coke. Yeah, you really don't need to. After changing a few hands and names, it is now owned by the Roundabout Theater for musical performances. Good. So, they have musicals now. Musicals. Musicals. (laughs) Despite all of these famous nightclubs opening, but not representing the true spirit of disco, regular folks didn't know that, and it had become all the easier to view disco as this elitist, hedonistic cool kids club that was ruining the wholesome values that Americans believed kept the country together. My pearls, they're clutch. Now get ready to clutch your pearls for a while, honey. Okay, I can admit, maybe I'm a little harsh on all of these topics I've brought up in this episode, but that's because I have the power of hindsight on my side, and I am a firm believer of the eat the rich theory. Because mm-hmm. let's fucking eat the rich. I fucking hate rich people. <laughs> Even I can admit at the end of the day, there isn't anything wrong, even with this contorted version of disco. Well, like, there are things wrong with it, but it's, like, not the fucking end of the world, you know? It's not, like, worth what's going to happen. I mean, there's still some jams. There's still some jams. People are having fun. It's still a way to escape the spicy times of the 70s, right? Right. The gas crisis was not only causing spikes in cost, but long lines at the pumps. The industrial complex was breaking down and factories were closing, causing massive layoffs. Like, people were fucking miserable. There was a sense of just this misery in the air. And President Carter, instead of taking responsibility for the government mishandling a lot of this stuff, instead blamed the American people. He accused them of being affected by malaise and a tendency to worship self-indulgence and consumption. It's like he's blaming millennials before millennials existed. I know. We're not even like twinkles in our dad's eye and yet still we're getting blamed. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Peanut Farmer. (laughs) I mean, I do kind of like Jamie Carter, but you fucked up here, buddy. He's, he's, you know, he he did some good things, but like, bro... Come on. We didn't do shit. We didn't do anything wrong. Take responsibility. Yeah, we're not going... Anyway. Your brother sucks. Like, (laughs) how about you take care of that and, like, shut the fuck up? Take care of your own shit, buddy. Like, the economy. (laughs) Mm. And it's here that we see conservative America uh, take a stand, I guess. Oh, no. This is why... This is... Is disco why Reagan happened? Kind of. Oh, come on! Guys. I'm so sorry. None of us wanted this. Anyway, keep going. (laughs) You have the likes of Anita Bryant, who started the Save Our Children organization. Oh, did she? Yeah, Save Our Children, because the gays are making disco music with gay subject or subtext to convert the kids to gays. Clutch my pearls queer. Oh, Oh, no. No. First of all, yes, there was some gay subtext, but nobody wanted kids to turn gay because they're like, they'll be gay if they're gay. If they're not gay, she they won't be gay. She should have just talked to the village people because they insisted they were not gay. Yeah, honestly. Or saying about anything gay. Yeah. They would have been fine. 
Also, the overindulgence that came with the disco scene greatly offended the religious right, who Mm. couldn't believe the sex and drugs that were involved, leading people astray from the path of righteousness. Well, guess what? Suck my clit. I don't care. Because whenever as a society, we begin to become more progressive, an outcry from those who fear change becomes loud, and strong attempts to quell things are constant. Yep. Because we fear change. With these factors at play, the time was ripe for radio DJs who opposed disco music to strike. It Mm. began subtly on rock stations, namely with Dennis Erectus of KOME. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? I I don't think that's his real name. I understand that, but he (laughs) made the choice. He made that choice. He made the choice. On the station KOME. Come? Yeah. I hate all of this. He I would, hate him. I hate him. Yeah, I should. hate him. You should. Because he would take a disco record, play a few bars, speed it up, then grind the needle into the vinyl, and then play a toilet flushing sound before laying some heavy guitar chords by the likes of Van Halen or ACDC. We need which, the butt. <laughs> he's, ugh, like, how many needles did you go through, bro? Like, Why would you do that? Don't do that. That's terrible for the needle. <sighs> Don't fucking... Why do you want to ruin shit? By 79, the Disco Sucks movement was underway. And if you really want to question its motivations that lie in racism... Like, do they? I don't know. Well, maybe check out an anti-disco group called Disco Duck Clan with members planning a club takeover where they would wear white sheets on stage (laughs) while they switched the music back to rock. What? They didn't do it, thankfully. It didn't happen, but they wanted to take over a club dressed in white sheets and change the music from disco to rock. Were the sheets too expensive? I yeah, mean, they probably wanted those fancy Macy was sheets. Was like Sears like out of yeah. white And sheets? somebody was like, can I use mauve? And they're like, no, it has to be white. What about eggshell? No, white. <laughs> All they have is off white. Well, then we can't do it. <laughs> I really want that to be the reason they didn't do it. Not that they were smart enough to know not to do it. That yeah. they just couldn't get the right color yeah. white. Yeah, just one asshole shows up in like a soft gray. And they're like, well, fuck, now we can't do well, it. Well, now we look stupid, Tom. Thanks, Tom. With an H. Thom. Thom. <laughs> Instead, they did on-air electrocutions, quote-unquote, of disco fans whose numbers they got from a group called Dread, Detroit rockers engaged in the abolition of disco. They'd call them up and then, like, make fun of them for being disco and then, like, play electric noises. That's dumb. It's dumb and it's that is kind of fucked up. That is really fucking dumb and stupid. I hate radio DJs. Yeah. They're this, all fucking terrible. They really are. Like, I'm sorry. I don't like a radio DJ. I really don't need a DJ. I just need the music. That's why people only listen to, like, streaming now. Nobody yeah. wants to hear you I talk. I don't want to hear you And if I want to hear you talk, I'll listen to a podcast. Yeah. That's why radio's dying. And now, folks, let's welcome back to the stage Steve Dahl. Boo. That's it. That's it. Boo. Did this dude... Rubbish. <laughs> Did this dude make eradicating the world of disco his job or what? <laughs> By now, he had a parody of Do You Think I'm Sexy called... Oh, good. Do You Think I'm Disco? Great. I'm sure it was the wittiest was thing that so had ever stupid. hit the, hair, was, the airwaves. Just, just by like how I spend so much time on my hair and my clothes and my buttons. 
When Van McCoy, the creator of The Hustle, died, Steve destroyed his record on air. Because that's what you do when a dude dies. Mm -hmm. Sure. He encouraged listeners to write Disco Sucks on Marshmallows and throw them at the village people at one of their concerts. Sure, because they're going to know what they say. Yeah, and like... But also stupid. Yeah. But also, like, why are you buying tickets to a... You're still supporting the village people by buying their tickets. Mm -hmm. Oh, my fucking God. Mm -hmm. Steve created a large army of brainless followers who joined in on the chaotic events. But the biggest one of all would be Disco Demolition Night, held at Comiskey Park, home of the Chicago White Sox. They have been having trouble drumming up crowds lately, so they saw this as a great opportunity to draw in more fans. Oh, sure. Those coming in with disco records would pay 98 cents for admission. It was July 12th, 1979, and that also happened to be teen night at the ballpark. The teens were unlikely to go in with the expectation of blowing stuff up, but one could imagine they'd be quick to jump on the bandwagon if a bunch of adults are encouraging it. Yeah, you know, you malleable know, minds and whatever. Hormones and all and that hormones. shit. They're like, oh my god, I get to blow things up with fire. the approval of adults. Oh fuck, there's fire. Yeah, kids love fire. Adult sanctioned fire. I'm into it. <laughs> Adult sanctioned fire. <laughs> love it. The White Sox were used to crowds of 10,000 at their games, which apparently was kind of low. Okay. The stadium holds only 55,000. So yeah, mm-hmm. I guess 10,000 is low. Yeah, that's a fifth. That's math. Math. You did it. But this night, it was totaled around 70,000 within and outside the walls of Comiskey Park. Oh, my God. Such a large presence couldn't be contained. And by the fifth inning, the field was strewn about with disco records thrown on it. Okay. Not to worry. There were plenty to destroy between the games of this double header. So, White Sox play a game. Mm-hmm. It ends. Steve came out onto the field dressed in fatigues, driving a military-grade Jeep up to this what? massive Why? crate Why? of 50,000 yeah. disco records in center field. Why? Because it made him look cool. I don't fucking know. He's an asshole. You should see pictures of this guy. He looks like a fucking asshole. No, it makes it seem like it's the government that is doing this. The government doesn't want you to listen to disco. He probably wants people to think that. The show began with fireworks being set off in front of the crates for a few minutes before a fireworks bomb was set off within the crate. Once that happened, fans rushed the field and began rioting, creating bonfires and destroying whatever they could on and off the field. When all was said and done, there were several injuries, dozens of arrests, and the White Sox had to forfeit the game since, you know, their field was kind of destroyed. Wow. There were huge amounts of damages. Like, they fucked it all up. Who thought this wouldn't happen? also who thought this was a good idea did somebody think like oh they're just gonna do like one little burn barrel full of cd or not even cds vinyl vinyl yeah i guess so because no that's not no that's not gonna happen it seemed that the white Sox saw like the the managers involved saw the big following that Steve had for this Disco Sucks movement. And, and we're like, all they we cared about was the money. attendance. They wanted the attendance up. It's money. It's all money. I guess. But like, literally everyone had their blinders on. Yeah. 
Nobody wanted to admit what would actually happen. Right. So after all this, you'd think Steve Dahl would be reprimanded for inciting violence and hate, right? <laughs> Let me guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> In fact, was he, he promoted? He oh was, my God, was he promoted? He was rewarded with his own morning show with some asshole named Gary, where they would make gross parodies about the Iranian hostage crisis what? and the children murdered by John Wayne Gacy, because they classy. What the fuck? They took the song Another Brick in the Wall and called it Another Child in the Hole, or the, the Crawl. Oh, Another Child in the Crawl. Because what the fuck? If, as we know as true crime buffs... John Wayne Gacy murdered children and put them in a crawl space yeah. in his house. What the fuck? He's classy. He's like, and you know what? He's apologized for everything now. He's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if you apologize oh my now. Gee, I'm so sorry, my you gee, guys. I guess I like, like hurt I'm totally fe- like He's legit. really sorry if he hurt anyone's feelings. So sorry if you felt like I hurt your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry if you think that the, the victims are hurt by what I said. Sorry. Sorry. <sighs> wow. Yeah. The disco demolition night was a definitive detriment to disco, but it wasn't the only factor in its end. It was discovered later that year that the crusade against disco was somewhat orchestrated. Huh. So hear this out. Radio consultants Lee Abrams and Kent Burkhart saw the backlash that was coming up from the Disco Sucks movement. Mm -hmm. So they crunched some numbers and discovered that anti-disco stations could be just as lucrative as the disco ones. Thank you for doing that math. Through focus groups, it was discovered, while most were pretty neutral to disco, one or two very loud detractors could get a whole group on board with them. Mm-hmm. So Lee and Kent advised their stations to change formats to go very rock and be vocally anti-disco. Okay. It's just interesting to note that disco's rise was just as pushed by capitalism as its downfall. Like at the end of the day, all this was fucking about money. was money. Mm-hmm. It's all it was about. Like, I mean, not original disco, not real disco, not like the actual beginnings in the underground. It was... When motherfuckers are like, I want to make money off this. They didn't give a fuck about the people. They didn't give a fuck about the artists. They didn't give a fuck about anything but their own bottom line. Or the true message of what disco was about. They don't, they never even, they never even knew it. They They never even knew it. Disco did not die overnight. There were quite a few more shining moments for this musical genre. 1979 saw the release of some quintessential tunes like Sister Sledge's We Are Family, Michael Jackson, Jackson's? Michael Jackson's. Michael Jackson's, don't stop till you get enough. That was a fucking fantastic song. I know, I hate to admit it, but I it is. I hate that I still love Look, a lot of it's Michael another, Jackson It's songs. another topic Michael entirely. Michael Jackson songs. <laughs> no, that I'm Sean Connery talking about right. Michael Jackson. But most Two appropriately, people. Okay. what came out in 1979 was Good times. Good times. Good times.
feel like in the lyrics for this that they might have been being sarcastic. I think they might have been. I think they were being sarcastic. I think they saw what was going on and knew that this was the end and they mm-hmm. were like, these are the good times, guys. Because mm-hmm. after this, disco's gone. So get up while you can. Yeah. I mean, now Rogers could always read the writing on the wall. Absolutely. Fucking love now, Rogers. <laughs> Even in 1980, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive won the first and last Grammy for Best Disco Recording. Dang. There was one year in 1980. (laughs) They were like, The Grammys were like, oh, we should acknowledge this. Okay, we're done. (laughs) Now let's give Best Metal to Jethro Tull. All right. (laughs) But throughout 79 and 80, disco went from commanding the top 10 charts to being non-existent. Once again, rock climbed back up on top, as did punk, new on the scene, and just as implicitly racist, sexist, and homophobic. Cool. Not all of it. I'm sorry. Like, I wrote these notes, and, like, I do realize, like, there is so much punk that is not. I mean, like, The Clash, DC Hardcore, there's a lot of it that's, like, super inclusive. But I'm thinking of, like, The Sex Pistols. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. But also, The Sex Pistols can go fuck themselves. Honestly, they really can. Yeah. But, like, post-punk's wonderful. Let's celebrate that. Oh, absolutely. Let's go there. So lots of people involved in the disco sucks movement do not like when people put these claims on them about being racist and sexist and homophobic. But, I mean, if the shoe fits, what are you going to do? Look, of course not everyone in this movement was that. And I'm not going to, like, say, like, oh, if you hate disco, that you are those things. But, like, the majority back then even subconsciously need to realize that by being so vehemently opposed to music created by people of color, celebrated by the queer community, and allowing such a sexual outlet for women, you might need to reassess your priorities. I get it if you're coming out and you're like, I don't really like disco, it's not for me, and that's it. But if you're going to these events and destroying things and causing riots, and also, like, these are white people causing riots. Yeah. I thought only black people caused riots. That's weird. Mm. And also, like, this is a stupid reason to have a fucking riot. Yeah. Stupid reason to destroy pop- property. You know what's not a stupid it? reason to have a riot? Killing people of color. Yeah. Like, just, I, I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. Bring it back. Bring it back. We're not up Trying to podcast. dismantle 300 years of... Systemic racism? Systemic racism yeah. and oppression? Yeah. But nope, 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 nope. I need no, to bring it back. I need to bring Target it back. Target really needs to recoup all of the things that it lost. Like okay? the 200 I bucks s- for a window. I think it can deal without a couple of air fryers. All right? I bet Target's fine. Target's they probably fine. don't even Target's care. fine. Anyway, d- d- stop it. We're done? <laughs> nope. Don't get me started. <sighs> There's a lot involved with this, right? And there's a lot of nerves that I think are still raw, especially because it's so recent that we're looking back on all this. Mm -hmm. Dissecting the disco movement is difficult. There are so many things that make it both lovable and unpalatable. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, like... Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that you're, like, a bigoted asshole. It is totally okay to be like, I don't like disco. This music sucks to me. Like, there really is only so many times you can hear YMCA before you literally want to, like, fork your own eyes out of your own skull. Right. And there are plenty of, like, yeah. I mean, like, the Village People was definitely a manufactured thing. But, like, I mean, like, Donna Summer and Chic, you know, there are also bands in there. Yeah. That are great. And I think they understand now why a lot of people are like, I hate to say I don't like a genre. Like, I always used to say, like, oh, I don't like country. 
But that's not true. There is some country that I like. I like a lot of alt country. Yeah. So it's hard to put like an I hate a genre, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you can make an argument for certain artists. Yeah. Some artists can take that music and turn it into something pretty wonderful. Yeah. Look, I covered a lot about how much disco was simplified and over-manufactured in this episode. And there's plenty of crap disco out there. And maybe in some ways subduing it might have been good for the world. Mm -hmm. Because disco's not dead. Yeah, no, I don't think it ever was. For all the DJs, record execs, and and conservatives who fought to get rid of it, just try to get it all out of the world... They only helped to create a ripple effect felt through the decades up to today. Now we have so many amazing genres of music born from those dance floor jams. Yeah. Like there are so many rock artists that I love mm-hmm. that have dancey tunes. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, My Girlfriend's Girlfriend by Typo Negative oh, yeah. is dancey as fuck. You it can is. put that on a jukebox. And you can get anybody dancing to that. Seriously. But in like also pop as we know it has disco to think. Yes. Do you like Madonna? Do you like Michael Jackson's Thriller? How about Blondie? Bruno Mars? Lady Gaga? I can keep going. Synthwave? Oh my God. Oh, synthwave. Yeah. You know what? If it wasn't for producers mixing beats and synths for some of these amazing singers... Knowing how to create the best sound, you wouldn't have these groups. Yeah. How about rap and hip hop? You a big fan of rap and hip hop? Remember when I mentioned Sugar Hill Gang in the last episode? Mm-hmm. Well, how about their song Rapper's Delight, which samples good times and is one of the first most iconic rap songs in existence? Mm-hmm. I guess by now you can take a hunch and find that I am the baby of the bunch, but that's okay. I still keep in stride because all I'm here to do is just a wiggle your behind, sing it on and on and on and on. Also, one of um, Will Smith's biggest hits um, samples um, "Send Me Forget Me Nots." Oh God, it's it's either Men in Black. To, oh, it's, it's Men, Men in, in Black. Black. Yeah, thank you. It's me, I'm oh, the Men in Black. Simply forget me not. Exactly. Yeah, there is so much. It's not even just that. I mean, many a rapper will use disco samples for their songs. Even today, you can see disco influenced samples in songs by the likes of Snoop Dogg. Outcast, Drake, etc. Mm-hmm. Kanye West, like all of them. They're fucking jams and they're great to and just And they fucking know it. Like to. any good rapper, hip hopper. Hip hopper, am I that white? <laughs> I am that you white. You just outed yourself as that fucking white. Guys. TFW. I'm that TFW. Fucking that fucking white. <laughs> but honestly, if you're into this kind of music, like. Disco can, you know, disco's the grandma right here. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, disco helped to inspire black musicians to be adventurous and to take their craft, try new things. Perhaps without the advent of disco, rap might not have happened. Mm. Of course, my personal favorite to come out of disco is electronica. Of course. Specifically house music. 
Not long after disco's popularity evaporated, a DJ named Frankie Knuckles, a regular at a club called The Warehouse located in Chicago, would hone his style. Mixing disco with indie soul, rock, synths, he helped pioneer house music. Named after The Warehouse, of course. This all makes sense. And it shares the same sentiment of unity and freedom that disco did. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuck, man. Listen to some goddamn uh, house music. It's all like, we are one. We are freedom. We are together. And it's like, yeah. And they're like, everybody say love. And you're like, love. (laughs) But not like the RuPaul version. And now we have the chain smokers. So, yay. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not all great. Like, there's plenty of (laughs) shit. We still have, like, Justin Bieber and the chain smokers. It's not like everything's hunky dory but i will take the amazing things that they have made yeah even with the shit everything gets distorted after a while and i can't believe i forgot to put this in my notes but daft fucking punk everyone likes daft punk on their last album before they've apparently unfortunately broke up (sighs) um not only did they have Nile Rodgers on it, but they had Giorgio Mordere on it. Like, they played, they had complete and utter, like, f- their own fanboy fantasies on that album. Because it, they, they love disco. They completely attribute disco to how they have made music and how they became who they are. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have disco. I think that's all bullshit. It was all feet baguettes. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm hungry again. This is so weird. Yeah. Baguettes. Mm, Bread. Mm, Bread. Disco was lambasted for not being political, for being self-indulgent. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In its very nature, disco band together all kinds of people from different walks of life to give them a chance to explore themselves creatively. Race, gender, and sexuality combined in the music and on the dance floor. Those who were normally shot down by rich white male execs were able to show what they got and turned out. And what they got was great. Instead of dying, Disco rose like a goddamn phoenix to give us so much more amazing music than anything we ever could have asked for. Mm -hmm. And it still slaps. It fucking does. I love Disco. I have gone down the rabbitest of rabbit holes (laughs) for Disco and house music now. And it's all making me so happy. Yeah, basically every like dancey rock tune that I really get down to, that I can dance to, that I can put on a jukebox and feel mm-hmm. okay that everybody in the room is going to really dig it, it's got kind of a disco beat to it. It does. It's got that sweet 4-4 beat. Mm-hmm. Shake a little booty to it. It does. And all the gay men just rip their shirts off and you're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to watch. And then you see uh, muscle butts. <laughs> and you're like, muscle butts? Muscle butts. Oh. Is that Captain America? Oh, my oh. God. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> Man, disco puts me in such a good mood. That's well, now we're going to ha- have to make a disco playlist and just play it all the time now. Yeah. I mean, I kind of made one for my birthday. I made that gay roller disco playlist. That, if there was ever a disco playlist, it's the gay roller Roller I mean, skating. Honestly, playlist. I think the fact that I got back into roller skating definitely got me back into disco. Because, <laughs> like, man, when I go to the 21 plus night, it's just all fucking like disco. A little bit of today, but a lot of disco. And I'm yeah. loving it. Yeah. It's so good. 
man, everybody go listen to disco music. Get the mm-hmm. fuck out of here. What are you doing? Yeah, for real. Like, just go. Go. Get yourself some rollerblades and go go roller rollerblading. I don't fucking Skate. know. You're like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know. Just fucking listen to disco. Do it. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to us. Listening to me ramble on for two episodes about how much I fucking love disco and how I'm pissed I am that people destroyed it for no good reason. But then how amazing it is that it's risen up into all the amazing genres that we have now. Yeah. Even- be be like Nick and Freaks and Geeks. Like, really be into Rush and appreciate um, Neil Peart's drumming. Mm. And also, like, be okay with disco. Like, if you get a lady that's really into disco and she really wants you to do, like roller skating dancing to disco yeah. fucking do it you yeah. can appreciate both at the same time and it doesn't make you gay doesn't and even if it did that's fine doesn't so be like nick all right okay okay all right. thank you jason siegel <laughs> <laughs> best thing you could have possibly done for the entire human race yep thank you i appreciate it and also lizzie kaplan oh yeah she was his girlfriend in that, right. that one episode about disco before it went off the air. Oh, again, just money fucking things up like yeah. it always does. Corporations fucking things up, honestly. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to us, guys. <laughs> we're not a corporation. No, so we're not. you're supporting DIY independent bullshit. Thank you. <laughs> our bullshit. You're supporting our bullshit. You know what? It's 2021. Spring, we're back on our bullshit. We are back on our bullshit. Yeah. Best you believe it. Best you fucking believe it. If you're here for our bullshit, go visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. Get more episodes, toss us an email, or find the links to our social medias and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And sometimes we post things. Sometimes. We'll get better at it, I promise. We, we've we been saying that for like a year. We're never going to get better at it. Every time it. we say we're going to get better <laughs> at it, drink. Because <laughs> like, we won't. I'm sorry. Look, it's, it's, it's hard out here for a bitch. It is. <laughs> but also, like, if you want to give us money or whatever, then you can do that on Patreon. And yeah. it's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. You can give us a few bucks a month and you can get bonus episodes. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll send you some delicious freebies, like yeah. coasters and pins and stickers and stuff. Ooh, tasty, tasty. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll get more shit. I don't know. I don't know. We have some cool shit at our tea Public store, so. We do have that. If you want t-shirts and, what, notebooks, stickers, magnets, hoodies. tote bags, hoodies, baseball shirts, all of that shit, you mm. can get that on tea Public. And just look for Rock Candy Podcast. Yeah, you can also go to the link that is in our Instagram account. Also go to the link that's on our website. You know what? Everything's on our website. Just go to our yes. website. Yeah. We're around. Just do that. You know, we're just hanging out. You can just message us. Be like, hey. We'll be like, hey. Yeah. You want to listen to disco? And you'll be like, yeah. We'll be like, cool. Cool, cool. Because <laughs> this is my United <laughs> States of whatever. <laughs> we we'll have Liam Lynch without disco. <laughs> Anyway, so tune in next week. Next week, we are going to start uh, something that we haven't done in a few years oh my God. since year one. 
Metalmania! Oh, I'm so excited. And it's going to be like the greatest, most cheesiest Metalmania ever. Yeah. And I am so here for it. We're going real weird with it, guys. But we're starting off with a bang next week. Also, something I'm... completely fucking different. Yeah. Now for something completely different. Completely different. Seriously. Yeah. So if you want a 180, come in next week. Oh, it's but... going to be great. Until then, we'll see you next week. And then party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Good times. These are the fuck times. Fuck off, Studio 54. <laughs> do, 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 do.